0: So sweet. Sweet worship today. Peter, thank you. You guys, thank you. Um, back in Genesis chapter 15, you can go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis 15. I'm thinking about expectations. You know, I didn't have to live very long before the reality that life doesn't work according to my expectations started to set in. I can remember. Thinking that when I turned 10, I would feel older, and I didn't. Sorry, nine-year-olds. I remember thinking when I get to high school, I will reach a maturity level, or when I graduate college, and then get married and keep waiting. Right? Don't worry. I'm not waiting Um, because maturity comes from something else. Right? There, there are other places that. uh, But when you think about expectations, right? What are things that you have? have had or held in your heart and your mind that didn't quite work out the way you expected. I remember I followed a girl to Chicago thinking I was going to marry her. Praise the Lord that he had something different. Right? He used Chicago to set me in a different trajectory that would lead me to Lorebeth. Beth. Um, who would have known that when we went to New Hope Uganda for a 20-week course in 2002, that it would turn into a 20-year journey? connected into New Hope Uganda, didn't see that coming, didn't expect that. Um, God doesn't work according to our expectations, but even bigger and beyond what we can see and what we can understand in the moment. There are also hard and painful realities that are a part of of expectations and uh, sometimes disappointment in expectations For us in uganda often the loss of loved ones hit so hard because we felt so far away you want to be with a grieving family you want to be together uh, facing the painful reality of miscarriage right hope of a child and losing that child in uganda we experience this over and over again ourselves and others that we walked with and perhaps the hardest uh, a stillborn birth and you see um, where a baby is is born not alive and the crushing disappointment of hopeful expectation that has not been met, and we could go on and on in the reality of the hardships of life that we face. Just this week, two good friends of ours, both lost, different friends, different mothers, both lost their mothers in heart attacks, um, very sudden, very crushing. One, a missionary friend in Indonesia, having to make a trip back here, um, boy, it's those times and those places that within us is stirred in the face of, of crushed disappointment or crushed hope of, of expectation that we are left to really just wonder, like, God, where are you in the midst of this? And really that question comes into our hearts, that, that question that we want to know when life doesn't work out according to our expectations, either just random, what seems random or through uh, painful reality. It's the question, why, why this when I thought or expected this? It's often in those times that we will point one another to a very good place, and that is to the promises of God, because God's promises serve like an anchor in the midst of a a, a floundering sea of life that can feel uh, storm-tossed. God's promises are anchors in that reality. And yet there are times where in our crushed disappointments, expectations that are not met, that even God's promises feel far, they can even feel empty. Someone says, don't forget, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you or I will be with you to the end of the age. We say, yes, it's true, but why does it feel far? You say, well, last week, you know, we heard a sermon on Jesus as our high priest, right? And it's good news that Jesus always lives to make intercession for you in the midst of the challenges of life, in the midst of struggles with sin, in the midst of the hard things that we face. But maybe even you left last week saying, man, I hear that is truth, but my heart feels far from its reality. We want to cling to the promises of God, and we want to encourage one another in the promises of God. And yet, what do we do when those promises, in the face of life's circumstances, cause God to feel distant, or his promises to feel far away? Today, we get to journey with Abram, really into the heart of difficult realities, because Abram had received promises from God. Right, He had experienced God's incredible, miraculous work in his life. and At the end of the day, even Abram wrestled with God's promises in the face of disappointing reality. And it's with that that we want to come and see how God leads Abram and leads us in the face of what can feel like great disappointment, even with God's promises before us. So let's pray as we come into God's word. Lord, there's a, a weightiness to, to, to this today, um, and yet is a weightiness that you bear for us, because every one of us have known deep grief. We have known pain and loss. We have known the frustration and hurt, disappointment, even disappointment with you, what appears to be where you where we can't understand what you're doing, where we can't see light in the darkness. And yet, thank you for your light that shines. Thank you for your word that comes in and anchors us. Thank you for the hope that is set before us and that we got to sing about today. Lord, we pray that you would ground us this day in your truth where we could push one another into the hope that is before us in Christ no matter what we walk through in this world. We pray that for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Genesis 15 is one of the most important chapters in Genesis. All right? it's, it serves as a center point from Genesis 12 to 17, really even up to 20 and 22 and beyond. All right? 15 is, is right there in the middle. It's like a hinge tying us back to 12 and pushing us ahead. Into what will follow. If you're just jumping into this series, really in Genesis 12, we saw God make incredible promises to Abram. Right? God promised that he would make him into a great nation. He promised that he would give him land for his descendants. He promised that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. These are incredible. I told him, leave your country, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I'll show you. We find Abram believing God, And acting crazy, leaving everything and going and obeying God. And he gets into that land and we we saw God's faithfulness to him as he traveled down into Egypt. As he deceived Pharaoh, this is my sister. We watched God's faithfulness to his promise even in Abram's foolishness. God is faithful even in our foolishness. Praise the Lord. So good. Don't want to forget that message, Peter. So good. And then we see Abram venture out and grow, right? He grows in faith and he stands in faith, even with the tests, as he stands with Lot and as they separate, and as we watch the kings come in, take Lot captive. We see Abram the warrior revealed, right? And God fights for him and delivers him. And we see God bless him through Melchizedek. And we see Abram respond in faith again, refusing to take the wealth of the king of Sodom, because his hope and his trust is in something greater. It's in the God of promise. And here in Genesis 15, we see God respond to this because 15 is going to be immediately after these things, after Abram meets Melchizedek, after he turns down the wealth of the king of Sodom, God is going to come and he's going to do something amazing, unexpected. He's going to cut a covenant with Abram. That's the Hebrew language that I love, right? The the text will call, he will say, he made a covenant with Abram. God's going to cut a covenant with Abram. So before we start, before we jump into the passage, I want to just step out for a minute and just ask this question, what is a covenant, right? What is a covenant? Because we're going to hear the language, we're going to see it. So what are we talking about when we talk about a covenant, Right. In the Bible, we see various aspects of covenant revealed. Right? It can occur between two people. We'll see, uh, we'll see that as we walk through Genesis. It can be between a king and his people, between friends. And these are really just reflections of a greater heavenly reality. A God who does covenant with his people. Today with the middle schoolers and high schoolers, I defined it for them this way because we're talking about covenants there. said so it's, it's, it's a binding agreement. Between two or more parties, that typically includes promises, expectations, it has consequences, usually, and a sign, followed with a sign. Uh, Gentry and Wellam, in their book, Kingdom Through Covenant, they give a short definition. It's it's different than that one, but it's also helpful. They define it this way. It is an elected relationship of obligation under oath. And we follow something like this when we think about marriage, right? When you think about marriage, it's between two people who who have chosen one another. You don't have like 10 people getting married at one time. It's an elected relationship. It's a chosen relationship. I choose you. I choose you. Okay? And they enter into uh, a covenant relationship with one another. It's an elected relationship, and it forms a new relationship. So the the two people are still two people, but they are becoming something different together in that covenant uh, relationship. There's clarity there. You are now a husband and a wife to one another. There are obligations in that relationship or expectations that they would be faithful to one another. Each party carries a responsibility to the other. And it will also be followed with an oath. In a marriage covenant, you make vows. And then, um, actually, what follows after that? What do you find? You find a sign. So often, a covenant will have a sign. In, in, a, in a marriage, uh, we know that it's going to be uh, a ring. It also has family implications. all right. And so, uh, whether it's a marriage covenant or a biblical covenant, you see some of these same types of things. Um, in marriage... It's not just two people getting married. There are family implications for them and their children, for two families that are now in in a unique relationship with one another, right? Grandparents sharing grandkids. And so there is kin uh, or relational impact through covenant. In Rwanda, I remember Laura Beth and I once attended a cow giving ceremony. Have any of you ever attended a cow giving ceremony? All right, Mike, thank you. Um, I'm so happy to hear that. Kenyan version. All right. In Rwanda, a cow giving ceremony is when two friends are going to uh, take on a renewed rela- or a new relationship with one another. And it is a form of a covenant. All right. And so it, one friend will say to the other, I'm going to give you a cow. Okay. They set a date. And on that day, they call together family and friends. And everybody comes. And it is a big Party. In fact, the cost of that party far outweighs the value of that cow that's being given. Because I, you know, I'm practical. I'll be like, "Why don't you just give the cow? Kind of like, here you go, All right?" But the point of, of a covenant is that it's something that's happening before others, right? It's a ceremony, and so these friends will come together. They will have food, and they, they together will proclaim their friendship and pass this cow to the other. And really the binding piece, the obligation that's given is that these, these friends now become brothers. And they are considered brothers before the tribes and the peoples. What a great cow-giving ceremony. Um, we should bring that in. I think it's awesome. Um, and so you get this, this sign, right? The cow is, is almost a sign of a covenant that is being made together. What's incredible in our passage today is that God is going to enter into a covenant with Abram. We saw a covenant earlier. We saw it in Genesis 9 and 10. After the flood, God makes a covenant with all of creation, with all of the offspring of Noah. And that's all of us. And he put a sign in the sky. And we saw that it had promises. There were no obligations. This is what God will do. When we come into now with Abram, we're going to see God revealing a different aspect of the beauty of covenant with his people. And it will be through Abram. So with that in place, just a little little covenant thinking, uh, let's come into our text together. Um, Notice in chapter 15, everybody, uh, after these things, so after these things pointing us back, It says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And that's a little bit of a different start. We haven't seen this kind of language in the Genesis narrative. And right away, it's going to draw our hearts and our minds to something else. Um, When you think of the word of the Lord came to, what do you think of? You think of the prophets. You think of the word of the Lord came to Micah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And we've seen Abram pictured as a prince, right? Uh, This royal kind of kingly language. We've seen him as a warrior. Um, Here we get to see him really as a prophet, as one who is receiving the word of the Lord. And we see God speaking. And it also makes us right away just wonder, what is God going to say? What, What prophetic element is going to come into this text, into this passage as we read it? So the word of the Lord came to Abram, In a vision. Look at what God says. Notice how he begins. This is verse one, really revealing God's promise. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, many have speculated that Abram was afraid that the kings that he just defeated might come back. You know, he kind of caught them off guard. You know, there was a a good slaughter, but these guys were powerful. You know, would they come back? You know, would he be fearful of that? I mean, maybe, maybe God, God had unshielded them, right? So God's telling him, I am your shield. I'm your defender. Others think that it's because he had just turned down all of the potential wealth offered from the king of Sodom. Therefore, your reward shall be very great. That also makes sense, right? Uh, You've rejected this. There's going to be a great reward. And that kind of ties both of the pieces together. I could see that, right? After these things took place, God responds. I'm your shield. I'm your defender. There's a greater reward for you, right? Something better, something greater. And we're going to see here that ultimately, uh, Abram responds recognizing this reality, that there is something greater. Because in verse two, Abram says, "O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And notice it doesn't stop there. It goes on. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. All right. It's like, here it is. It's finally out on the table, right? Remember earlier, God told him, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. God had promised him offspring, and we haven't seen Abram raise any kind of a flag. He hasn't. Nothing's been voiced, but boys, some time is passing, and we get to this point now, and it's like, God, really? You know, how are you going to do this? Because Sarah's barren, and, and this isn't just like a medical issue, right? Abram knows That God is sovereign over life and death and the opening and the closing of the womb. And he comes in and he says, you have given me no offspring. God had promised offspring like the dust of the earth. That's innumerable. But for the innumerable to happen, it first requires one. And you can almost picture Abram's relief, right? As he finally voices this reality to God. It's like, God, I've heard your promises, right? I've experienced the truth of your word. You are who you say you are, and you do act in accordance with your word. But boy, what you've promised feels impossible. At least according to my perspective, where all I can see is that the heir of my house is a guy from Damascus, right? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like from your perspective, what you hear God say simply just doesn't meet up to what you are facing in reality? Maybe it doesn't make sense. Verse 4 comes in with, I love this phrase that Moses loves to write because it's always an attention getter. It says, and behold, right? It's like, listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Not this man. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Can you number them, Abram? Can you look up? I, I, I love the picture as God graciously brings him out, right? Like I've used the picture of the dust of the earth, but now I want you to see something grand, right? Like the dust of the earth, that's crazy. But look at this beautiful picture. Can you number the stars? Remember at the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he filled the heavens and the earth and it's like here he draws this together because God is going to fill the heavens and earth, the offspring of Abram. Number the stars if you can. Notice Abram's response. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. That's enough to just stop right there. Right, just saturate in what this really means. the good news is Peter's going to do that for us next week. Next week we'll look at what it means that God counted it to Abram as righteousness. Because Moses just states it clearly, right? In the face of what feels impossible, what seems too good to be true, Abram hears God's revealed promise and he believes. It's not the first time. He's been believing. And here again, he believes. And God credits him, counts it to him as righteousness. It doesn't stop there. Moses states it, and he just moves on. Because now we come into, really, the second part of the passage. So we've got kind of two sides, right? We've seen that, that uh, God Speaks to Abram. Abram responds, right? God responds, and now we're going to see it again uh, in a new cycle. Because now in verse 7, God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. The statement is significant, right? What does it remind you of? I brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to possess this land. I am the God who did this. And again, if you're reading it as one of Moses' readers, if you're reading it as Israel, you're hearing, I am the Lord who brought you out of where? The land of Egypt and brought you into a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to find that language over and over. I am the Lord who brought you out. And here it starts. This is covenant language where the one who is greater declares what he has done for the good or the benefit of the lesser. And there's no question that Abram is the lesser. And so God starts it with this phraseology that is going to be like like a light bulb in an image in Abram's mind. Again, we don't work that way, right? Like that doesn't trigger those types of thoughts for us. But, But I think in our culture, there are things that would. So for example, if I stand here and you hear me say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here today. What would you guess? You're like, is there a wedding? Right? If you just stumbled in off the street, you'd be like, oh, there's a wedding going on, right? All I've done is utter a few words and it immediately triggers something. Um, Imagine that you you go for a walk uh, with, with a young lady, with a young man, and he gets down on one knee. And he says, you know, uh, I'm really, really thankful for, uh, for the gift that God has given me and you. You see him go down on that knee. What are you expecting? Are you expecting that he's going to pull out some ice cream? W- what are you expecting? A r- you're expecting a ring. Now, Selah is seven. Y- you turned eight. She's eight years old. <laughs> as soon as I said, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I always say, I have six kids. It's hard to keep track. Um, even Selah, eight years old, knows, right, that just the significance draws an image. The ring. Imagine he goes down on one knee and he says, will you marry me? And he just, just has his hands open wide. What is she thinking? <laughs> right? Because the, the, the promise has an expectation of an action. There's something that should be a part of this, right? There's something that should be coming. You know it's coming when you see the the knee and you hear the words, what's coming? It is the ring. The ring is coming. And in the same way, as we look at covenant in the ancient world, right, as soon as God says to him already, now uh, we've walked through the beginning, right? God's made promises. And here now, I'm the Lord. I brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Abram's like, covenant. Something's going on here, right? And, and he says to him, he responds right away, oh Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? It's kind of like the, the woman, like you, you've heard the, will you marry me? And it's like, well, how do I really know? You know, like I know something's coming. Where's the ring? Where is it? Okay, God, how am I to know that I will possess the land? What does God say? He tells him in, in verse 9, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay? Th- this is the ring, right? Bring me these animals. And we'll see these later as you get into uh, into God's uh, dealings with Israel. These are clean animals. These are animals used for sacrifice. And God calls these animals out. This is a part of of covenant ceremony, and Abram is so excited that in verse 10, he brought him all of these, and he knew exactly what to do. God didn't even have to tell him. What does he do? He cuts them in half, lays them each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. Let me pause there. See, that's kind of, when you read it, you're like, well, that's weird. I mean, we, we don't have any practice at all where you're going to cut something in half and you're going to separate it out. And really, it's, it's a picture, right? He's going to take the animals, separate them into two, into, into halvesies, and face one another, creating almost like a walkway between. Okay, that's not something we would do. But in the ancient world, that is what you would do. Just like, get down on a knee, give a ring. Just like in the cow giving ceremony, there was expectations. In covenant, there is clear expectations and clear understanding and clear symbolism. And Abram knows. And now he has to wait. He's got it all ready. And he waits. The promise is there. The command is there. He's done what he's supposed to do. And he waits. Remember, this all started last night, didn't it? Look at the stars. Now we're going through the day. This is exciting. He's waiting. What starts to circle overhead? Look at verse 11. When birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I don't know exactly how much time it takes between the killing of an animal before the birds of prey are like, yes, we're watching. Okay? Okay. And they circle, and then they start coming down. Uh, I'm sure somebody here knows it. I don't know. My guess would be about two hours, hour. I don't know. I should have Googled it. Um, time's passing. Birds of prey are coming, and this is bad. Guys, these are sacred animals for a sacred covenant, and the birds of prey are coming down to, to feast on these sacred animals, and Abram's driving them off. In the ancient world, that is a bad omen. That is not good, Okay. And, and, and he still waits, and he waits, and he waits. Verse 12, look at this. As the sun is going down. So now we're into the next night. A deep sleep fell on Abram. Okay, this is not good. This is foreboding language. Of course, a deep sleep fell on Adam, and he brought him Eve, right? That was a good thing. Here, birds of the prey, birds of prey coming down, driving them off, sun setting, deep sleep. And look at what Moses writes in the second half of 12. And behold, get your attention, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. If we were around a campfire and Moses was telling us the story, it might sound like this. And a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, great dreadful darkness encompassed him. And we'd all be on the edge of our seats, listening, waiting to hear Moses say, and the Lord said to Abram, and we're just waiting for it. What is it? What is it? Know for certain, that your offspring, right, who I've promised and you haven't even experienced yet, but know that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. As for you yourself, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, this is not what Abram expected when this covenant started. You can just see from the excitement to the long waiting to now dreadful darkness and what seems like terrible news. It's almost like if I'm, if I'm Abram, it's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, let me get this straight. So the offspring that I believe that you will bring about for me as my son has children and they have children, they're going to be carried to a foreign land, not even this land that you promised. Um, they're going to be afflicted. They're going to suffer for 400 years, and then you'll judge that nation and bring them out with great possessions, kind of like what you did with me in Egypt, right? Um, all because the sin of the people in this land hasn't yet reached the point when you, where you'll judge them. Did I get that straight? Right? Kiki, did you get that? Is that does that make sense? It's like, am I missing something? So wait, no, you are going to allow, cause, bring about, Suffering for your people so that you can have mercy on sinners who deserve judgment but aren't ready for it yet. Right? What's going on? You can just feel the tension within this. And and, and of course, Moses has set it up for us. Like we're supposed to feel it. This is dreadful, this is difficult to understand. That God is at work in ways that Abram can't even imagine. He's like, Abram, you see a canvas this big, and I'm working on a canvas so much bigger, it would blow your mind. But understand, this is the plan. This is what will happen, and I have purpose in it. Yes, I'm patient over here, right? I'm at work over here in this land. Remember Melchizedek? Remember, there's so much more going on than we know. And there will be a time of judgment, but that's not yet. And yes, your offspring are going to suffer, right? But but I'm with them in their suffering and I have a purpose in it. And I will bring them out and I will keep my promise and I will be faithful. What can they cling to as a people that will pass through the affliction and the suffering? What can Abram cling to As he knows the reality of what is going to come about. What will he cling to as he's faced with the truth that God's ways are not his ways or our ways and that God doesn't work according to our expectations. But where we can hear God say, that if you trust me, I will actually exceed your expectations. If you trust me, you will see that something greater will come about, even if you don't see it in your lifetime. I'm working in all places, in all generations. This is what Abram will cling to, and this is what those who are going through affliction will cling to, and this is what we are given to cling to. Because in verse 17, out of all of this, Moses writes, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Everybody in this land. This land I give to your offspring. On that day, God makes a covenant. But again, something shocking is God makes a promise to Abram as God promises it to Abram and his offspring, as that covenant promise includes offspring and as it includes a land, as we see the blessing of the nations will come through this, all of these pieces will will play out in this covenant. God does the unexpected. Because typically what would happen is you would have two parties together saying, these are my commitments to you, and this person over here, this is my commitment to you, Okay? These are the benefits I gain and I gain. We will walk in this obligation and here are the animals laid out and we will hold hands or something, I don't know, cross our arms that we pass through together. And as we pass through these divided sacrifices, we are proclaiming together, if I am unfaithful to this covenant, let this happen to me. Right? And we hear this language, it comes out in Jeremiah chapter 34, uh, I'll read it to you. You see it kind of play out in a different covenant context in Jeremiah 34. Let me just read it because I think it sets up kind of what's going on here for us. Um, Jeremiah 34 verse 15 says, "You recently repented. This is God speaking, and you did what was right in My eyes by proclaiming liberty each to his neighbor. Right? You made a covenant before Me in the house that is called by My name. So." There was a covenant made, but then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves whom you had set free according to their desire. And you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Okay. So there's a renegade They had made a covenant. These were the expectations. We're going to let our slaves go. Um, and then they turned around and they actually brought them back and re-enslaved them. And God is rebuking them for this. Verse 17 says, "Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty, to the sword, to pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the man who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into. ...and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests... ...all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. I will give them back into the hand of their enemies... ...into the hand of those who seek their lives. Okay, so as an aspect, it's a different. That's, that's different. But you see that reality that they had made a covenant. They had passed through. They had proclaimed, let this happen. If I'm unfaithful, if I break it. They did break it. And God calls them to account... What's crazy here is that Abram should be passing through with God. And you know what? That would have been awesome. Like, I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, what a beautiful picture of God with his people, and they pass through together. But the truth is, is that Abram has no place in the keeping and in the upholding of this covenant. This is God's covenant. God will keep it. Now, Abram does have expectations. He is. He's already patterned it. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. And we're going to see that play out. But God will bring it about. And as God takes this picture, this smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, right? This, you think about, again, Israel reading this and hearing this. It's like, what comes to mind? It's like God on the mountain, the cloud that covers the mountain, and the, the fire and the lightning, and you see this picture, right? Or, or what did God picture himself as as he led them out of Egypt? pillar of cloud, right? Or pillar of fire and a cloud. And he passes and they follow him. And so there's this this picture of God's presence with his people here in a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And this picture of God who comes to Abram, he walks through alone. And it's like God is proclaiming In your disobedience, because God won't disobey, in the breaking of covenant, I take this upon myself, right? I, let, let this happen to me. Like God takes all of it and he passes through because God is the one who will be faithful to covenant and God will himself face the breaking of covenant. And that's significant. God's going to uphold it. God will take on the punishment of disobedience. What will Abram think about when God's promises seem really far away or or when God asks him to to do something that just seems crazy? We might see that later. Um, Can Abram trust this God? What's the answer? Yes, he can. Because he has beheld God do the impossible, do the incredible. 400 years while Abram's offspring wait for God to fulfill his promise, as they are facing affliction and suffering, they have hope in the God of covenant, the God who comes to dwell among his people, the God who upholds his faithful word to his people. And over the next thousand years, what are God's people to remember? That God is the God of covenant who is faithful to his people and to keep his word and his oaths to his people. And what are we to think about when it seems that God's promises are far away or when life's circumstances make God's promises seem difficult or even impossible to cling to? What do we think about? One word. Covenant. Because our God has come and done the unthinkable. Because Abram's descendants were unfaithful to God's covenant. Israel, they are un- they will be unfaithful to God's covenant. We have all been unfaithful to God and his covenant, to God's law. We have all walked in sin and deceit and rebellion against God. Like all of us deserve. The judgment of death, but God. When we think back on Abram, and we think about God's promises to him. We think about land, and we think about nation, and we think about blessing to all of the world, right? Those three things, there's actually an even greater promise. It kind of gets missed. Because greater than those three things is the truth that God is Abram's God. Abram gets God. And God is better than land and offspring and blessing. God is the blessing. God is the greater. God is the giver and the gift. And the greatest gift of the gospel to us is that God offers himself to us in the gospel. We get God. Because God came down and became man and he walked among sinners and he walked perfectly and and he upheld God's law perfectly and he was crucified and nailed to a cross between two wicked sinners who deserved death. They deserved death. He didn't deserve it. And he passes through the middle as the perfect sacrifice, as the one without sin, and he takes all of the judgment of our sin upon himself. He bears it in his body on the tree. And then he dies, and he conquers death, and he rises again, and he proclaims the victory of a greater covenant with greater promises that will encompass all nations and all peoples in the fulfillment of all that has come before, all of the covenants behind all come and find their yes in Jesus. Because Jesus has offered himself. He's fulfilled all the obligations of the covenant. And he's brought us into a greater covenant family with God as our king and our father, with brothers and sisters together. See, God is the God who comes near. God is the one who enters in to our suffering and transforms it with hope. God is the one who comes where our expectations feel let down, where we can feel disappointment with God. And he says, I can take that. Because the truth is, I'm calling you to look to something greater. Look to covenant. Look to all of my promises and know that I am working. And you know what, brothers and sisters? God offers us the greatest gift. He offers us himself. He comes and he fills the hurting places he offers himself to us at the cross. For those who've lost fathers and mothers, we remember covenant and we get father, right? For those who've lost brothers and sisters, those who grieve the loss of children, we gain God, the God of covenant, and he gives us brothers and sisters and spiritual offspring and children. As we grieve loss and disappointment, as we mourn with those who mourn, we get God, the God of covenant, who offers himself in the Holy Spirit, our comforter, and who comes and comforts us in our brokenness, and who intercedes for us. In our sin, we get the God of covenant, who offers lavished grace as we turn from it to him. If you face having your name defamed and thrown under the bus, We turn to the God of covenant in the hope of a better name, in the hope of the glory of the name of Jesus that we get to bear. If you lose your job or you retire and you wonder, am I still valuable? You get the God of covenant who gives you a greater purpose, a kingdom purpose. You hunger, you thirst, you feel empty. You open your mouth and you get to feast on the God of covenant who comes and fills it with himself. We get God. Can you hear God speaking over his people, the words he spoke to Abram? Fear not, brothers and sisters, fear not, my church. I am your shield, your very great reward. We get a very great reward. And our ultimate reward is the gift of God himself. Because God sealed the covenant at that cross. He sat with his disciples. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is a covenant. would be great. I should have I had us do the Lord's table today. You know what? A, that, that covenant ceremony, that reality. We, we come to table with that hope and reality of the God of covenant who offers himself to us. The question why will always rise up when life doesn't meet up with what we expect from God, from others, that's okay. God may or may not answer the why, but he has answered the unto, and that's clear. God is always working unto what is good and greater in accordance with his will and in in the assurance of his covenant that he has made with us. And so we hope and we cling to the God of covenant. Let's pray. Lord God, just, I love your word to us in 2 Corinthians um, that, that in the reality of what we face, you know, we're not in Egypt. We aren't suffering for 400 years uh, But we do walk in a fallen world, and we do suffer. Thank you for your word, so that we do do not lose heart, right? Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, because, God, you renew us. Because you have said that this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we don't look at the things we see, right? We look at the things that are unseen. Because these things are passing away. We want eyes to see what is eternal. We want to live in that hope and reality. Thank you for our own hearts revealed in Abram. And thank you for being the God who comes and who answers us in our questioning. And that you have done everything to secure the the reality of, of the transforming grace that we desperately need as we journey together. Lord, thank you for covenant. Thank you for Jesus and the hope of the gospel. May we walk in that great hope. May we bring that great hope to others. For the glory of your name, amen.